Good Looking Out, episode number 23, a podcast about what to eat, watch, read, and listen to. I'm Eric. I'm Jason. So, what's up, Santos? Not much, man. Feeling feeling the Friday, for sure. Yeah? Psyched for the weekend. I don't have much planned, really, um, but got... Uh, You're just going to go... What, what do you, how are you feeling about these Black Lives Matters protests and all the stuff that's popping off in the city? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I of course support it. Um, yeah. You know, but. How can you not? I mean, yeah, it's great. Um, I guess I gotta, like, yeah, I gotta figure out how to check out some of that. I'll be honest with you, though, I don't do well in, in a crowd anymore. I do well in a crowd if it's like in a small, if it's in a rock club, I do want right. a crowd. <laughs> but if it's any other place, like it's not, uh, it's not great for me. So I, I don't know. I just were you. Uh, was there ever a point in your life where you were more politically active? Um, no, I, I was never. I was never. Um, no, there wasn't. I mean, I was certainly. Um, I certainly had. Um, strong feelings, you know, and, and like in a way felt like punk rock was my way of sort of establishing my stance on somewhere ideologically, like this is where I stand. But to be honest with you, no, man, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of sorry to say, yeah, no, I never, I was never that active politically Hmm. fucking voted and shit, but uh, I mean, but you know what I mean? And always like have stayed informed and. But no, man, I've never been, that was never me. Yeah, it's tough. It feels like as people get older, for the most part, unless it's like your thing, it's the thing that you do, people tend to get a little less involved if they ever were. I mean, we used to, I used to volunteer and, you know, I never did like political organizing. I was, wasn't on like the bleeding edge or like the the furthest involved. Um, but we would, we did stuff. We went to marches. We were, you know, active and stuff like that. Animal rights related things. And I'm not surprised like to hear that. Yeah. I made a bomb one time to <laughs> blow the windows out of a first door. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Out of, uh, Fuck I yes. packed a can full of match tips and then put like a, a cigarette busted the Fuck filter yes. off a cigarette. So it would be like a slow burning fuse. Didn't work. It but didn't work. No. Uh-uh. I read about it in like one of those, either Anarchist Cookbook or one of those things. Uh-huh. And I was working at a hotel at the time, so I would just every day I would fill my backpack with like matchbooks. Dude. from the And it just sat there listening to the radio and cutting the, the match heads off, like <laughs> putting them into this can, putting them in this can. It takes a long time yeah. to fill up a can. But supposedly, uh, if you did it right, it was the fuse part, obviously, that wasn't right. If I had figured out a way to get a different fuse, I must not have been that into it because I didn't bother afterwards. Um, it'll blow like a three-by-three hole like in the ground you know it's like oh that's a major yeah yeah and you were doing it in a tin can like a soda can or something right there would have been like some minimal shrapnel and stuff but because that's not certainly would have blown the windows out of that's what you wanted is the the explosion yeah to blast a fucking (laughs) so (laughs) punk rock i love it holy shit I, i don't even think i think what happened was I made it and I just sat on it and like me and a couple of my roommates one night after they'd been drinking were like, what is, 
like you have this thing like let's go yeah, by yeah. the lake and like <laughs> you know and then we tried to do it and the fuse didn't work and then we were like fuck it and just like threw it sure like, yeah something with it yeah wisely so yeah i mean who i mean those places all have video cameras i probably would have gotten arrested and it would have been a bad scene <laughs> you know another time i love it yeah i mean we used to just do like dumb petty petty stuff like that yeah there was a time when like this was a long time ago. This is more, it's funny how some of these things that are like local versus corporate and some of that stuff, all that stuff started in like the grassroots sort of organic food movement and the punk rock scene and all that stuff. You know, the anti-corporate mentality, mm-hmm. all that. Yeah, we were like not only anti-big label music, but all anti-corporations and all that kind of stuff. So it was stuff like that that we'd. I had friends that were like anti cars and like wanted to fuck up people's cars and stuff all the time. I, wow, yeah. I, I had a harder time dealing with that because it's like, who wants to come out? Some like working stiff who his car is the oh, only way right. to go and all of his tires are slashed. And it's like a 1984 Oldsmobile. Yeah, you know, it's like that guy's not the man. Not the, by not any the man by any stretch of the definition. <laughs> maybe maybe biologically. <laughs> Yes, but that—that's the only that's, he qualifies as. That's the, the extent man. of it, yeah, yeah, for sure. Did you hit um, Gilman Street with a passion as soon as you got to California? No, I never went, not once. Oh, really? No. Yeah, I was. Um, I explored the city a ton. Like when I first got there in the first weeks, I had a couple of weeks before I started grad school when I moved there, and I would just pick a direction and walk San Francisco. Yeah, that's how I oriented myself to the city and sure. figured out how all the neighborhoods were connected. Yeah, um, in a way that you can't really do necessarily as much in a car. At least no. I can't because yeah. I navigate visually, so it's much easier if I can walk it. Then I didn't. I couldn't even tell you street names, but still today I could go and walk you from the mission all the way through the Castro and up through, uh, you know, into the lower hate and, yeah. you know, down through there, through the park. And sure. Know. So, and you know, just a good way to do it. Oh, it's With, the best. Yeah. Most of it was so I could find record stores and go fucking record shopping. Of course. You know, and do stuff like that. I blew all the money I had before <laughs> school even started. And I was broke, <laughs> like scraping together, you know, there was one point, I think, at the end of the semester, where I had, like, $5 to live for two weeks. Nice! Including, like, I had a class that I had to get to in the East Bay, and I didn't have... I had to borrow, like, BART money from someone <laughs> to, like, get to my class. <laughs> I <laughs> like love it. stupid. Yeah. I yeah. love it. <laughs> I, I've never been E.F. Hutton. Let's put it that way. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Terrible with money. Um, so, <clears throat> what else is going on? Um, not much, man. Not much. I'm getting like ready for winter, you know. Um, yeah, and- suddenly it's been a the weather's been gorgeous, gorgeous October, gorgeous November. All over the country, getting that El Nino weather. Fuck yeah, man! All over the country. Um, Bill Cunningham wrote a, a, a column a couple of days ago about how I don't know if he's a fashion writer, photographer, right? The guy that's featured in the documentary about yeah. goes around the streets of New York on his bike. That's him. He's the best. Yeah, he's, he's the best. He's so good. He just wrote an article a couple of days ago about, and I love him so much because like you're reading the Times, and I normally read it like for headlines, and lately they've been fucking terrible, right? Everything in Paris, but um, so you're reading all these headlines about Paris and. You know, the Russian plane and all this other shit. And then it's to Bill Cunningham, who's bitching 
about it, and I I say that lovingly, bitching about like all this warm weather because no one can show off their layers. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> fucking brilliant. It's so good. But um, but no, yeah, man, it's settling in here for sure. It's yeah. winter. Like the the switch has flipped in for sure. But I was walking into um, I was walking through a parking lot this morning and. It was um, it was like nine thirty in the morning, and I, it was just that kind of Midwest sort of like cloud layer with the bright sun right behind it. Right. And there's it's taken me a while, but there's a real beauty in that. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know. It's taken me a long time to get there, but I, if you grew up here, when I grew up here and I moved to San Francisco. I, you know, it's the first place I'd ever lived outside of Madison, Wisconsin, where I grew up. The skies and the clouds are totally different because it's so fast moving that you don't ever get those kind of sunsets in the same way where you have these massive, what looks like an armada of clouds, like these giant clouds hanging with the sun sort of setting behind it and all that kind of stuff. You That's don't right. get it as often. Um, you know, and even like, so it's not something you really think about when you're a young kid and you're fucking moving away from the only place you've ever lived that like, you know, the weather being different also affects like the way things look. Yeah, it you really know? does. Yeah. And it's, it takes, you know, it makes sense. Like it takes time to get used to it here. Like the, just the natural beauty here is not quite as dramatic as it is out west with big cliffs right. and big fucking yep. waves and every other fucking yeah, thing. Yeah, it's more of a slow burn here. Like not yeah. it's just like it's a little bit more it's a little quieter. It manifests itself in a different way for sure. It does and I'm I'm happy to say like I'm like starting to recognize it and that's making me feel like this is home all that much more. So Good. It's nice, yeah. Cool. So I've got to fess up um our friend Jonathan Green, JG, reached out to me and said, uh, in a past episode, a couple episodes back, I talked about the uh, notion that they were going to be doing a Big Lebowski 2, and then it was going to be a Yeah, I remember. Well, it turns out that that was an internet rumor that was started about six months previous, and it just resurfaced again. So I actually heard that from someone, one of our colleagues at work, and I went back and, like, said... Called him on it? You, like... Basically, told me this. I I trusted you when you told me this thing, and it was basically an internet rumor. So I apologize to all of our listeners for. Oh wow, we're we're not exactly, you know, we're not exactly uh, holding ourselves up to a standard of journalistic ethics or something here. But uh, I at least pride myself on you know giving good information most of the time. So I apologize for. Um, presenting what turned out to be uh, an internet rumor Some that bullshit. was quickly debunked, evidently. Huh? Um, yeah. Well, I'll be honest. I, I I'd be pissed if I if I had followed up yeah, on it. Honestly, and I didn't. it's better that it's not happening because there's there's no there's hardly any way it's going to live up to the first one. I mean, the first one is like massive cult status at this point. It'd be really hard to come up with anything. Yeah, and it's hard to imagine Jeff Bridges like agreeing to that too, right? Right. No, he actually. Thought it was true, evidently, and like had a very strong reaction. A uh, oh, negative, interesting! A very strong negative reaction. Okay, yeah, online that was documented. So, oh, cool. Well, JG, the fact checker. Yeah, that's right. Thanks. Anything film related? He, yeah, he's the man to go to. He, yeah, no, and I'm I'm just going to check everything for him before, with him before we even <laughs> Jesus, record. Do not. <laughs> it, the only thing we'll ever watch is fucking Terrence Malick. Fucking yeah. <laughs> right. That's all we'll ever be able to talk about. All right. Well, what are we doing this week, man? Th- this week, uh, I know what we're doing. I'm just setting it up. We, I know what we're we doing. We were talking about 
we uh, decided to each bring in three books that are modern classics. And we just we define, decided to find modern classic as something that had been written in the last 10 to 15 years that you feel like everyone should read. And this was, I have to admit, tough for me because I talk about so many books all the time that I think are amazing to come up with three books that I hadn't talked about a lot. I may have mentioned some of these books in passing. In the past, I've definitely mentioned some of these authors. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, hopefully... For anyone, you know, these these books are good enough that if you didn't pick them up the first time I mentioned them, you should absolutely go back. I'm psyched. I'm super psyched for this. So I'll, I'll be honest, like I, yeah, when you sent out the topic, I panicked a little bit because I think, and I'm not alone in this, I think everybody has got a syllabus in their, on you know, in their pocket of like, oh, fuck, you know. This I know this is killer. Everyone says this is the greatest fucking thing. I've got to read it. Right. And you haven't fucking read it yet, you know? Yeah. There's, like, a Philip Roth book that is on there that I, of, of course, have to fucking read. He's right. a He's a master. Yeah, yeah. A Don DeLillo book that, like, you know, he's considered one of the all-time greats and haven't read it. So when you sent this yep. out, I was like, all right. How the fuck am I going to read? It's Don DeLillo, right? Am I saying yeah. that right? DeLillo? Yeah. It's not DeLillo. DeLillo. Yeah. I don't, yeah. yeah. Either way. Um, potato, potato. Fucking A. So I was, I was like, all right, is this, am I going to cram in that book before we do this? <laughs> and I'm like, I was seriously thinking that because I want to be, you know, I want to be the fucking well-read person I fucking yeah. claim to be. And then I was like, and then I panicked. I'm like, fuck, I don't know any, I don't read modern shit. I don't know any fucking modern books. Fuck. And then I calmed down and I was like, all right, wait a minute. There's gotta be. And then once I started, I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, actually there are plenty. And, um, as usual, I've got five fucking honorable mentions in, which I won't drag everybody through. Um, though I will say like the one that um and not to just fucking jump right into it here but I do um recently I before we do this I run the topic by Beth my mm-hmm. wife and and more because she's just interested in like what we're going to be talking about and does she uh, ever listen to the podcast she does oh, yeah okay. not a lot like she's listened to <laughs> <laughs> yeah not a lot um not a lot and only cuz she doesn't have a lot of time you right. know what i mean she's yeah, got yeah. no fucking time um, and she's not a podcast gal anyway, right. though, here we, here we go. Um, I, I got to keep this short detective. Yeah. Oh my God. You're fucking so right. <laughs> let's pick this, let's pick this conversation back yeah. up. Cause it's fucking amazing. And we're, and since you started talking about it, she heard, she got turned onto it by listening to the podcast okay. and hearing you talk about it and started listening to it. Um, a confirmed true crime gal. Yeah. And, um, and then I was finally like, the thing that turned me on, I'm like, this fucker's eight minutes. I'm in. Right. And then I, I was hooked. So, um, thank you for the tip on that. It's fucking killer. Yeah. But, um, anyway, uh, um, I've been running the topics by her and I'm like, you know, because oftentimes for anybody that's married, you'd know this, um, your spouse or even your significant other you've been with for a long time, they know you in a way that you don't know you. And they'll remind you of shit that is important to you that may, you may not be thinking of or something, you know? Yep. And she's like, 
she's like, are you going to do me talk pretty one day? And I was like, no, I'm like, that never even came close to being on my list, but that's a fucking killer pick. It is a killer book. Right? And that's a really good, and whether it fits my criteria for a modern classic, I, it obviously doesn't because it's yeah. not on my list. Right. Um, and plus we're only doing three, but. I think it's more than 15 years old too, actually. Jesus Christ. I mean, still, that's frightening. That, that's a, that's a. You know, somewhat arbitrary distinction. Anyway. It is, it yeah. is, but um, a frightening fucking fact, if that's the truth. Yeah, Jesus. I'm pretty sure that's came out in the 90s. Oh, motherfucker. Yeah, holy shit. So any, oh my God. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, then. Two of my picks are, are out of the fucking date. <laughs> <laughs> this is how delusional we get with time. Yeah. Like, there's no way the 90s were 15 years ago. Even though I know goddamn well. Even though it's almost 2016. <laughs> what yeah. fucking year it is. Yeah. All right. Well. It doesn't matter. We're stretching it a little yeah. bit. It if certainly does. books, they're great books. Yes. And but, I mean. As long as you're not talking about something from the 1950s. This ain't Dostoevsky. Like, yeah. all that shit. Because that was my initial thing. I was like, shit. All I read yeah. is old stuff. Yeah. But I, I, I got some new stuff. Awesome. And I'm psyched to talk about it. Where, who's who's starting? Who? who Who's going first? You want to go first? Oh, actually, let me ask you something. I, I was going to do this. I wanted to try and, and pick uh, and guess if, if one of these was your pick. Um, did Is one of your picks uh, Harry Potter? No. Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like Harry Potter oh, okay. okay. But, like, I, I wouldn't pick Harry Potter. Okay. All right, I, fair enough. I actually, haven't read them. I like Harry Potter okay. Here's my, once again, not to, like... Stay out of format and never get around to the fucking books we want to talk about. But I like, here's the thing I like about Harry Potter. I like that it brought a generation of kids into reading. And I like that it, it did things for um, genre fiction. You know, like Neil Gaiman often talks about he couldn't get Coraline published because people thought it was too dark until Harry Potter hit. And then all of a sudden, like, there was a market. Okay. So it proved that there was a market for dark. Darker, sort of edgy books for kids in a way that I appreciate. Um, it is the thing that bugs me about it is the fact that people who aren't well versed in the genre think that it came out of nowhere and everything else is a copy of Harry Potter. That fucking bugs the shit out of me. Oh, it's gonna drive Harry me Potter is almost directly cribbed from The Wizard of Ursi by Ursula K. Le Guin. Okay. And if you read The Wizard of Ursi, you're like, oh my god, this is like <laughs> seriously half of Harry Potter. And it's like Joseph Campbell's hero's journey meet like with Ursula K. Le Guin in the same way that Jaws was like um, Moby Dick and um, yeah. Ibsen's uh, Enemy of the People right. smashed together to like create this film. Yeah. Um, which is brilliant. I... I'm not going to take anything away from that sort of method of creating something new because it obviously works really well. Anyway, so I read Harry Potter to the girls. I enjoy Harry Potter, but it's like I'm not going to go there as like it being fair enough. You know, it's decent quality all the way through the series, which is tough. Um, so it's good enough. I did, however, you won't be shocked to hear one of my picks is a sci-fi book. One of my picks is a fantasy book, and one of my p- picks is a crime fiction book. Okay. Yeah, no, not surprised. All so, the genre. Yeah. Uh, my first pick, and I've at least mentioned this in passing on the podcast, is a book called Old Man's War by John Scalzi. Okay. He's a, I don't remember you talking about it. He's a um, modern sci-fi writer. This book came out in 2005, won um, all sorts of awards. It's a brilliant book. 
So uh, the book starts out, and the main protagonist of the book is um, turning, I want to say he's turning 70, and his wife has died. And in this sort of future planet on Earth, um, there have been, we've colonized space, but most people haven't, it's not like people are jumping around and traveling in space. You can join the army, and you can go to space, and you can actually enlist when you're 70, but no one knows what happens after the point of your enlistment. Seriously? Because no one ever comes back. So everyone knows it's like when you, when you turn 70 and this, the, the story opens, if there's very little on earth, it's like just a few chapters in, you're like, this guy's enlisting. He has no idea what's going to happen. And, um, the story goes from there. So, uh, I, I don't so want to ruin cool. it because it's like such a cool yeah. process of discovery. I, please don't, because this if is anyone so likes great. like military sci-fi and you um, like, you know, space adventures sort of stuff, it's really clips along at a really awesome pace. It's really smart. Um, the way it represents alien species is really good for like anyone who likes Ender's game and things that have like sort of more nuanced, like kind of political stuff happening. Um, for will fa- say, sorry, will you say the name again? The, the name it's of the called book? Old Man's War. Old Man's War. Okay. So, um, brilliant, super brilliant book. Um, he's gone on to have a fabulous career. Um, was the head of, um, turn it the other way. He, uh, the head of the science fiction fantasy writers guild. Okay. Oh, um, okay. All of his books. I'd, he's one of those people I'd, I'd recommend just about any of his books. Um, he's got a couple series going. Uh, in the Old Man's War, Old Man's War is the first book. There are five more books in the series. Some of them are a little more connected than others. Um, but it's a Old Man's War is a great place to start. You could just read that one and go no further and be fine. Or you could read the whole series. And um, this is um, by the nature of our conversation, a newer book, like this is yep, 2005. So it's 10 years yep. old. Um, how long is it? I'd probably put it at 300 pages. It's oh, pretty quick read. Quick read. Yeah. Jesus, man. I, that sounds so interesting. I, and I've been dying to, as you know, like I've never been a sci-fi reader. Um, movies, of course. Yep. Um, but books, um, fantasy and sci-fi have never been on my radar, but you know, through talking to you uh, all this time, I've been trying to find the right, like, you know, I don't have a lot of free time and I don't, I don't get to read as much as I'd liked. So, you know, things have to go through, there needs to be a pretty, they got to rise to the top and it needs to be right. But there's something about, I I feel like I'm missing, um, by not reading sci-fi where you're able to like, Break the fucking shackles and yep. like explore a different part of, you know, a what if. Yep. You know what I mean? That I don't, I've never experienced really, you yeah. know? Yeah, there's been a lot of good stuff. I feel like sci fi is sort of um, having a massive renaissance right now. And some of it's getting picked up by Hollywood, some of it isn't. Some of it is like manifesting in like the dystopian sort of young adult stuff that's happening with. Uh-huh the maze runners of the world and the hunger games and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of series that are about to come out and tons of stuff is getting optioned. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw man in the high castle just came out on Amazon. So you can watch the series on Amazon right now. Oh, really? Yep. So, um, yeah, 
I would say if you're gonna, you know, jump back into sci-fi, you could do a lot worse than Old Man's War. I feel like it's one of those people put it on the list of like sci-fi 101. Like if you want to get into reading sci-fi, like you could, you should start with these books because they're uh-huh. accessible. Um, you know, they turn you on to like good authors. They're, um, you know, who have lots of other books. They're quick reads. Um, so okay. yeah, I would definitely put old man's war in that. I love it. And this meets your, um, just to qualify back to our kind of topic. Um, what, what makes this, uh, like, because when we say classic, I mean, that's a fucking major. It's true. Like, that's what, true. what qualifies this as a classic and not just a great sci-fi book. I would say. Um, so I the way I kind of thought about it was if you. If you had someone who was open to reading in these genres and. These are the first these felt like fundamental books. They're the first books that you would recommend to absolutely anyone. Okay. Yeah. Um, yep. And they also felt like they moved the genre forward in a way. Sure. Yep. Um, and that's a, yeah, that seems like a great like qualifier or they were, do, you know, doing something unusual, brilliantly executed, brilliant concept. Yeah, you know, and in solid all the way through, and in sixty would, years, yeah, there's people still, will still be reading. We're this. still talking Absolutely. about this book. I think people will still be reading this book sixty years from now. No problem. Fucking a, yeah, killer. So yeah, that's nice, first one. good one. All right, man. Um, well, I'll tell you that my picks um, are um, are all fiction um, and not in the genre. Um, they're, they're and, and probably not super surprising picks, but um, ones that these are books that um, not only for me, the criteria was not only were they um, did they have a huge impact on me, but they had also had to have a huge impact on literature. They had to have a huge impact on the world of books in right. in culture. So, yep. Um, my first pick, um, is an author that, uh, this is his second or third book, Michael Chabon, um, the wonder boys. Oh yeah. So I, um, I was introduced to him. Um, my friend Spike, um, Michael Chabon is, um, a Pittsburgh guy, Pittsburgh. And he, his first I believe it was his first, yeah, it was his first book was the mysteries of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And that's the first book I read of his, which is amazing. Um, his, his professor, he was a student at the time and his professor unsolicited submitted this book, mysteries of Pittsburgh to whoever double day. I don't right. know who he, yeah. I don't know who he sent it to, but his professor sent it in and, um, boom, it got picked up. And he was like immediately like kind of launched yeah. as a student into the literature world. Yep. The literary world. His next book and somebody may call me on this. It, it, whether it was Wonder Boys or whether it wasn't, I don't remember. But he that's right. He wrote it and got the ungodly sum of like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars as an advance. Wow. Which your normal advance is 
seven to ten thousand dollars, right? And he got a hundred and fifty thousand dollars because somebody was just crazy about him. So anyway, Michael Chabon, um, Wonder Boys is a book about a, um, it's a book about a young student who is at I don't, I don't remember if they actually call out the school, but it's in Pittsburgh. Um, and it's not Mellon. It's it's not Carnegie. I don't I don't know what school it is, but it's this young. He's a freshman, I think, outsider who um, he's straight laced, but he's a he's got this super dark side to him, and he's actually always contemplating suicide. But he's this incredible writer, and um, he gets paired up with his professor who um, sees this unbelievable talent in this young guy. Um, and the professor is very much involved with his classes and very much involved with his life as as a professor, but he's also going through a, a crisis of his own in his personal life where his wife is leaving. He's having an affair and with the dean. Right. Um, and have you read this book? Um, I read it a long time ago, and then I've also seen the movie with Tobey Maguire. And Which is Douglas. amazing. Yeah. The movie's yeah. great. The movie's great. And I, I read the book before I saw the movie, and the movie's fantastic. I think it's a great adaptation. Yep. W- yeah, you agree? Yeah, I think it's good. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, Wonder Boys, I, there's something about it that, um, for me, has kind of a... Um, it, and, and it's probably because it's based around school that it has a sort of it, it hits the same bone that Catcher in the Rye hits a little bit, right? Not as directly. Yeah. Catcher in the Rye is it, it, this is not as good as Catcher in the Rye, right? Um, but it, it it somehow is in the same place in my head. Um, and there's just it's really funny. It's a really it's a really funny book. Um and it's also it's super heartfelt. Um it and it's it, it let it reminds you of a time when you know, at least I was going through a lot of change in my life and I don't know. It's a it's a great book. Yeah. Um that's an interesting pick. Have you read um a lot of his other books? I have not, no. Have, have you read Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay? No, that's the one, that is considered his best book. Yeah. Easily. It's awesome. Considered his best book. So good. Um, There's a, this is a lesser known book, but I love this book too. He wrote a book called Summerland. Oh, yeah. That's about, um, sort of like a magical realism book about baseball and these kids. That's right. Yeah. Yes. That is also awesome. Yeah. People love that book. I got to, you know, again, it, reading time is at a premium. Um, and, but the adventures of Cavalier and clay, I mean, that's a, that's a book based on comics. Yep. Um, it's based on like the, the, these like Jewish brothers or friends that, um, I guess they they had to have been friends who, you know, based on the, you know, the real life guys who created all of the um, original superheroes and, you know, became famous. There were a lot of those, um, you know, a lot of those guys that hardly saw any money. There were, we were talking the other day about the guys who created Superman did it as spec work and then they were like never seeing any of the money. 
or something like that. And the whole community rallied around them. And when the, the more recent movies started to come out and made sure they finally got paid for some of their work. You're kidding. No. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, it's funny because I think most people, if they, if they were going to talk about Michael Chabon in this, and again, I'm not saying his fucking name right, I'm sure. Um, but um, I think if most people were bringing him up in a conversation about modern classics, they would definitely bring that book up before this one. Yeah. Sorry. And my next pick is going to be another pick that somebody would... <laughs> another deep cut. Or, yeah. <laughs> well, it's going to be another one that, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, that's, yeah, that's my first pick. Tell, tell me what you got, what do you, what you got next? Um, so my next book is, um, it's funny cause I, I refer, I'm going to refer to this as a modern classic, but I don't even necessarily think it's this writers who I love, probably my favorite writer at the moment, uh, this fantasy writer named Joe Abercrombie, who I've talked about a lot. On yeah. The podcast. Yeah. Yeah. His first book in his first series, he wrote a series called the first law trilogy. And it's sort of the reason why I think it's a classic is because it's sort of the basic for a lot of his books. You see a lot of repeating characters, even beyond the trilogy, there's characters that come back from these books. So you kind of have to read this first law trilogy as a foundation for all of his work. Um, you don't have to, but it makes the other books better. if mm. you do. Um, so the book is called the blade itself. It came out in 2006. I stumbled on, uh, to this in San Francisco. I walked into on Valencia. There's a, fantasy sci-fi bookstore um right at like 19th and valencia um god i can't believe i know the sign it's black and red like kind of shitty hand painted yes it's not borderland uh i think it might be borderlands actually is it i think that's right so i walked in there was just like rattle off a bunch of names like here's the kind of stuff i like to read in fantasy blah da 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 and the woman was like oh well and I think they had just gotten, like, the the most recent, maybe even the third one in the trilogy in, or the second one. And uh, she was like, oh, well, have you read Joe Abercrombie? And I said, no. And she's like, oh, well, you have to read this. So I bought the first two books, massive books. And at the time, I was like, I already had a Kindle, so I wasn't buying paper books anymore that much. So I brought these books. We were uh, on vacation in San Francisco, and I just, like, burnt through the first one, you know, in, like, a couple days. And what's so amazing about these books is um, he does really well what a lot of filmmakers, I think, do really well, where none of the characters are black and white. It's like everyone is gray. No one's, like, some of the characters that you would normally see as the villains in the book actually turn out to be the heroes and the the person who's, like... Typically, who you think would be the hero, there's this guy who's, like, an awesome sword fighter, and he's working his way up in the army, and he just turns out to be, like, a total shitbag who becomes, like, you know, I I shouldn't spoil it, but anyways. And there's a guy who's this, like, physically deformed and, like, gruesome torturer who kind of turns out to be one of the heroes of the story. Wow. Um, And then there's this character who's maybe one of my favorite characters. And, and the reason why I think this is a classic is because this is where he's introduced. So there's kind of like this, um, not entirely dissimilar from Game of Thrones. You see this trope a lot in fantasy books where the North is kind of these more barbarian sort of tribes. And then there's like a organized, more civilized part. So there's these 
these guys called the Northmen. And one of the guys who's sort of the the biggest badass, who's sort of like a champion of the king, the guy who's the king of these barbar- this barbarian tribe, is this guy named Logan Ninefingers. And he has a bit of like a multiple personality disorder. Oh my God, really? <laughs> uh, in a way that like... Um, where he has this sort of part of himself when he kind of goes in this rage called the Bloody Nine. Whoa. Um, and it's awesome. I just think for anyone who, like, you'll never read battle scenes or, like, fight scenes any better uh, than Joe Abercrombie's. And, like, it all starts. You can see all the bases. The The wizards are, like, done in a way. There's, like, this wizard who there's hardly any magic used, but when it's used, it's used to, like, Good, good effect, and the wizards are like just total smart asses, and really, really, really. And he takes the book that I wanted to use, but it fell outside the timeline criteria. Was this book called The Black Company, written by um, this guy Glenn Cook? And he was a massive influence on Joe Abercrombie. I think Joe Abercrombie, to my taste, does better, but couldn't do what he does without Glenn Cook. Glenn Cook, like created this type of military fantasy that um set like had an enormous influence so these black company books were like foundational in the fantasy world but they were written in the 80s okay so they fell outside for the purpose of this i thought about using that but yep so what joe abercrombie does is he takes that and he sort of builds on it in a a way where in the same way Tarantino sometimes takes these foundational films, but then adds like more of a modern sensibility and like pacing to them. Yes. That's what Joe Abercrombie does for like this sort of what Glenn Cook did with military. Interesting. So, wow. Um, amazing book. Takes some surprising sort of twists and turns. Pretty unconventional. Um, what is it? What is it dark, about the, um, yeah. what is it about the, uh, like the, the, um, the war scenes that are, are so because that sounds super interesting to me. Like that makes me want to yeah get going it's, on it. It's the way the um, it's the way the Northmen. For me, it's like first of all the like the the people that are and this is as so often happens in in real history. The people that seem like the disorganized barbarians are like the ones who are brilliant in war and the the. The, the empire that seems like they have all the uniforms and the regiments and all that stuff, like, and yeah. they're just like getting their asses handed to them. And it's the, <laughs> it's the camaraderie and the way these like sort of like tight knit units of the Northmen interact with each other that I think is so brilliant. And then just the way the action is written, it just looks like really? cuts to the bone, really quick, really um, unexpected stuff. I think I was telling you about before Joe Abercrombie wrote this book called the heroes and the first 20 pages of the book, you're introduced to characters who are then immediately slaughtered. Yes. Like two, two paragraphs later. This is okay. This is like massive war. And you're just like reading this thing and you're like, Holy shit. It's just like emotional <laughs> roller. Cause just like, Holy shit. I've never read anything like this in my life. And some of the characters from this first law trilogy, you're basically seeing the Empire and the Northmen like back at war again, and there's this guy who's this like massive um, guy who's this dueling champion who's just like waiting in like and fighting against these Northmen. And it's just this crazy frenetic 
slaughter in this way. I'm like, so well executed and so brilliantly done, and you've never read anything like it. Holy shit. But I would recommend reading the trilogy before you read that book, The Heroes. Okay, yeah. Gee, it's so funny. Like, I, so many times, like, I feel like I need to, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, looking to grab, like, a pad <laughs> and a pen and write this down. Like, I can't fucking refer back to this yeah. <clears throat> to figure it out. That fucking sounds so great. Good one. All right, my second pick. Um, again, not um, probably going to be a surprise, um, but um, for me was um, a game changer. It was the first um, book of Cormac McCarthy's that I read, and that's mm. All the Pretty Horses. Yeah, good one. Um, and this book is... Um, I mean, I, I don't think anyone would challenge this as a modern classic. No, absolutely not. Um, Cormac McCarthy is a, um, for anyone that doesn't know about him, he's um, a writer's writer in, in that, like, he doesn't give a shit about writing. Like, it's like the last thing on his list that he he's famous for being um, a hermit. And he does not give interviews. He does not talk about writing. You know, so many people in the literary world um, crave attention. And and I don't say that in a bad way. Like, people are trying it's to... part of promoting your book. Part, that's right. Sales, that's, yeah. yeah, it's how you... You know, and he that has never been, for him, a goal. Right. And um, he... at He's... I mean, and this is a guy who won MacArthur Grant... Um, you know, the genius grant, right? Yep. The MacArthur Award. I mean, and he lived off of that. He He's, for years, when he wrote this book, like, he didn't even have a, he was homeless. He lived in hotels. Wow. In motels. Like, he, he's from, he was born in Rhode Island, but he lived in Tennessee for a long time. And mm-hmm. then he went overseas. He actually met his first wife, like, on a cruise or something. And anyhow, um... Cormac McCarthy, most people will know him for the adaptations of um, No Country for Old Men. Yep. And, Wasn't there um, like an adaptation of All the Pretty Horses with Matt Damon or something? There like was an adaptation. I've never seen it. I've Billy Bob Thornton did it. Yeah, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. Um, I'm af- I don't. I don't. I don't know why I'm afraid to. I, I'm a little afraid to, just because the book is so perfect. Um, you know, but to to that, I mean, there's no. I'll I'll watch it at some point. You know, because I've seen all the other. You know, I've seen all yeah. the fucking Hemingway stories too. No Country for Old Men was good. <laughs> oh my god, it was amazing. The yeah. Road, the Road was good too. Oh, amazing, really fucking great. Um, but anyway, all the pretty horses. Um, is the first in a trilogy called the Border Trilogy. Cormac mm-hmm. McCarthy. Uh, so this is um. This is the first of his, like, southwestern sort of phase, I guess. Yep. Um, and, and the border trilogy continued in this area of sort of the Texas and Mexico border. Um, and All the Pretty Horses is a story about a young adolescent who's he's 16 years old. And he's he, he wants to light out. He wants to get out of Texas because I think he says, like, it's either – it's either owned or about to be owned or something like that. Like he just feels like it's, there's too many borders, too many signs. I got to get the, I'm, I want out. You know what I mean? Right. It's fucking adolescent. I'm out of here. Yep. So he and his best friend take off. They head South to Mexico. And 
I, I won't drag you through the whole plot line, but suffice it to say, it's an adventure. In, in in for anyone that knows Cormac McCarthy, I think the usual themes surface: um, extreme highs and extreme lows. Um, and the extreme highs come at unexpected times, mm-hmm. which I think is a great like sign of a great writer when they can like bring you to those sort of observations that happen and in in normal everyday occurrences that are spiritual in some sense for, for the characters. And then also like with him, a recurring theme is um, just a, a swirl of incredible violence and misogyny. Um, And, um, in this, in this book has all of that, you know, um, so why out of all of he, cause this Cormac McCarthy's written a ton of books, very prolific. Why, a lot of books. why this book out of, you know, a lot of people would say blood, Meridian. blood Meridian is yeah. the pick blood yeah. Meridian is the book that he wrote just before this. Um, and that is the pick that anybody would say, um, like blood Meridian is the pick that made people say, all right, you know what? He's actually better than Faulkner. Right. Like people, Saul Bellow, I think said that, Yeah, which who the fuck is saying serious statement. (laughs) It's a bold statement. It's like saying Floyd Mayweather's better than Muhammad Ali, you know? Oh yeah. It's a major, it's a, it's a bold statement, but I mean, he, there's, there are a lot of comparisons between him and Faulkner. I mean, that's a common, you know, I like I have a lot of heart for both of them actually. Yeah, I know, and yeah. I know you Faulkner for you is yeah, huge. huge. Um, yeah. um but uh, for me the reason I chose this one is that it was so um it just it was a it was a just a punch in the in the gut to me. I was like holy shit when I started reading it cuz this is like I said the first book I guess I didn't mention that, but this is the first um, Cormac McCarthy book that I've read. Mm. Um, And then I went on to read others. Um, But I didn't know. I didn't know the level of genius. And I didn't know, like, I started reading it. And I've read, you know, not every Hemingway. I've read most of Hemingway's books. And when I started reading this, like, he's got a... um, a style that's easily compared to Hemingway is certainly like his, his use of punctuation or a lack of thereof. Right. Um, yeah. because he, it's not in your, sorry for anybody that knows this already, but it's, he, he doesn't, it's not conversational. There aren't quotation marks showing the dialogue back and forth between people. Mm-hmm. There may be, there may be periods. There may not be periods. There may be semicolons. There may not be, like he doesn't adhere to any real rules. The use of quotation marks, he does not happen. Right. So you're left to, for me, the result is having to kind of go back and read it again right. <laughs> a little bit because you kind of read through it. You're reading the words. Yeah. Because you're used to reading dialogue in a certain way. I, I remember first reading his older, when his first reading his older books, that I found that really jarring at first. Then all the, when you get 20, 30 pages It disappears. In, it disappears and you're like, it seems so much more natural. Why doesn't everyone? Same do as Hemingway. Yeah. Same thing as Hemingway. And, and that's exactly right. You're like, why doesn't everyone do this? Because it's so much more of a flow. Um, so yeah, that was, I mean, that was the reason for my pick. And also just like his, I don't think anybody... I mean, to 
I don't know. I don't want to get into why this one over Blood Meridian really too much because I don't know. It, just for me, this one hit home more. He doesn't talk about love in Blood Meridian, you know, but am I right? Like there's no real love affair in Blood Meridian. Yeah, I don't think so. But in this there is. And, you know, um, that's what gets you. You're a sucker for a little romance. Fucking A, man. Yeah, <laughs> of course I am. You know, and and I don't know. There's just something about it. And, and like with anything, like it's when you read it. What's happening in your life, where you are physically when you're reading the book, I don't know. Like, it just... Actually, I want to read a passage out of this one. Um, eh, fuck it. I'll read a quick one. Actually, you know what? I'm going to read a quick quote out of it. Okay. Because um, I don't want to take up too much time. I can read a bunch of shit here. But um, So, he's... Um, this is, again, sort of in their journey as um, our our hero and, and his best friend are heading down south. Um, McCarthy says of him, he says, uh, he saw very clearly how all his life led only to this moment and all after led to nowhere at all. He felt something cold and soulless enter him like another being, and he imagined that it smiled Malignly, and he had no reason to believe that it would ever leave. Like, it's... That is a... If hell settling into your shit isn't that, I don't know what is. He had no reason to believe that it would ever leave. I mean, this is, I think, a a, a harbinger of, like, what... um what was to come with like his post-apocalyptic stuff in the future where there's just like absolutely zero hope, you know, I think that's a good example of it. So yeah, that's my pick there, man. Um, and I'll stand behind that one all day, right? All the pretty horses. What are you looking up? Um, I forgot that I said we went a full sample. So I was just pulling a sample real quick of my next one. Oh, cool. Well, what is your next one? Um, so d- down to the detective fiction. Yes. You know, I've read a lot of def- detective and crime fiction in my days and, um, finding something that feels really new and feels different is pretty rare. And also stumbling just across like a new favorite writer in that genre is pretty rare. Um, you know, what I don't have time for is sort of like the dime novel, the like current, you know, massive best New York times bestseller list. The, no. I mean, John Sanford is okay, but there's like a bunch of those people that are just like cranking out title after title and they're really formulaic. Um, so it was a real pleasure for me to stumble across this writer, an Irish writer named Ken Bruin. Oh um, yeah. And I'd recommend the, this book to you, the guards. I bought that book and I again have yeah. not read it. And what I, Sitting what on what I love stand. about this is like distilled down to the, the bone of the story and the writing in like, it has such a like poetic rhythm and sense to it. And it's like, it's almost like if you smashed Chandler into Hammett, like it has the sort of the air and the, he paints scenes sort of like Chandler, but it's distilled in the way that Hammett is like really just like down to the bare essence of the writing and the story. Um, and it's um, also uh, set in um, Ireland 
you know, where they don't have as many guns. Like, it just has a very different feel and a very different vibe. Yeah. Then, and he's like a very reluctant detective and he's an alcoholic and okay. like all sorts of, but not an alcoholic in like a, the way that I'm, an, um, you know, like an American novel would do that to like make a character more interesting. Like, it's the real deal. You know, okay, yeah, that, like, yeah. Someone who is known or either struggled with alcoholism himself or Ben, you know, has, lives in a culture where that is a massive epidemic. Right. Okay. Um, so let me just read the opening, opening page of this and you'll get a sense. I'm going to butcher the name of the Irish police force here, <laughs> which is where the name the guards comes from because that's uh, what they're called. Oh, okay. Uh, in there. It's almost impossible to be thrown out of the Garda Sinchana. You have to really put your mind to it. Unless you become a public disgrace, they'll tolerate most anything. I'd been to the wire. Numerous cautions, warnings, last chances, reprieves, and still I didn't shape up. Or rather, sober up. Don't get me wrong. The Garda and Drink have a long, almost loving relationship. Indeed, a teetotal Garda is viewed with suspicion, if not downright derision, inside and outside the force. My supervisor at the training barracks said, We all like a pint. Nods and grunts from the trainees. And the public likes us to like a pint. Better and better. What they don't like is a blackguard. He paused to let us take the pun. He pronounced it in the Luth fashion blackguard. Ten years later, I was on my third warning, called before a supervisor. It was suggested I get help. Times have changed, Sonny. Nowadays, there's treatment programs, 12-step centers, all kinds of help. A spell in John O'God's is no shame anymore. You'll rub shoulders with the clergy and politicians. I wanted to say, that's supposed to be an incentive? But I went. Unreleased, I stayed dry for a while, but gradually I drank again. It's rare for a guard to get a home posting, but it was felt my hometown would be a benefit. An assignment on a bitter cold February evening. Drunk as bejesus operating a speed trap in the outskirts of the city. The du- duty sergeant had stipulated, I want results, no exceptions. My partner was a Ross common man named Clancy. He'd had an easygoing manner and appeared to ignore my drinking. I had a thermos of coffee near bulletproof with brandy. It was going down easy. Too easy. I'll stop there. <laughs> but oh. he, uh, you know, you see what it is. He basically quickly gets kicked out of the guards and then becomes a private detective. And... You know, so this is modern time. This is very oh, yeah. modern. This is modern. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it's interesting because as Ken Bruin has been writing, there was um, a uh, he writes about Galway, and Galway kind of goes on this from all of the youth flooding out to try to get jobs other places in Europe and in the states to um, Ireland going through that sort of like tech boom where everyone comes back to then the other side of that, where it's down oh, wow. and time is up and despairing again. So you kind of get the sense of like what Ireland's been going through as you read through these books and some of the crazy things that are sort of happening and how it's reshaping Irish society and stuff like oh, that. Oh, God. So yeah. Kim Bruin. Yeah. Not to be missed. Killer. Yeah. Well, thankfully, this one's already on the list. I mean, I got that. I have that book. Um, ready and waiting. All right, my last pick um, is a new find, um, and actually new in just the. It's the only real thing I've read in the last like 
I don't know, three, four months. Um, and you know, it's funny because this, it, when I read it, I was like, Oh Jesus, this would have had a place in a, um, an earlier episode where we talked about uh short, we did a short story episode Yep. and, um, which is a, a favorite of mine. The, the form is a favorite. Yep. I love it. Um, and this has been on my list for some time, you know, and, um, and it's, it's George Saunders, yep. uh, the 10th of December. Yeah. 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 Um, amazing. I, I had no idea like how, I mean, he's, um, widely regarded as a genius, yep. which that's a statement you can make about very few people. <laughs> right. But George Saunders is like everybody just, yeah, he's a genius. And, um, and then when I picked up the book, like, and started reading it, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. This guy is a fucking genius. And the book, it, it, it's a short story compilation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are 10 short stories in it. And, um, it's, amazing in that he adopts like this incredibly conversational tone and um, has this ability to sort of imply depth in characters without delving into that depth. Uh And um, which is so hard to do. Like, how do you do that? Yeah, for sure. You know Um, what a hard, what an impossible fucking act. Um, and I'll talk a little bit just about like the eponymous title, the eponymous story. Um, it's the, the short story, the 10th of December is, um, I think a good example of his style. It's, it's, it's opens, it's a cold open where you have no idea where you are, who's what, who's talking, who's doing anything. But basically the story is about a, a young kid who gets picked on a lot at school and has created his own life for himself, his mm-hmm. own life in his, in his imagination and in his neighborhood and in his world and what he does. And he lives, you know, he's an only child and he doesn't have a lot of friends. And, um, I can identify with that a little bit. You know, I was not completely in that situation, but a little bit, you know, I, I, very much identified with this kid, you know, he's chubby, gets made of for being made fun of for being fat, like, d- like makes alternate worlds that he lives in and talks to like he, he, he goes on this adventure where he is going outside in the cold and he dresses up in this outfit and brings a gun with him because he's got to go fight these creatures that live in the nearby lake and surrounding woods by there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole time that he's out there, he's talking, he's got the, his crush on his, that this girl that's in his homeroom class that's along with him. And she's giving him all kinds of like support and encouragement. In his imagination. Yeah, yeah. In his imagination. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's talking, she's along the whole time and she's amazed by all of his acts of, of like, you know, bravery and stuff. So he's out there mucking around and doing his thing. And at the same time, we then cut to, um, the story of this old man 
who is deathly ill and has had enough and he leaves his house and he is at the same pond as this kid and he's come to end it because he's at home shitting himself and his wife has to like wipe him and clean him all the time. Mm -hmm. He's losing his mind and, and in the writing, like the way he writes um, is sort of like the guy's just like fumbling for the right phrase all the time. Mm -hmm. And you can feel his frustration and, um, it's amazing. The kid, the kid is out on the pond and he falls into the ice and the old man is sitting there trying to freeze to death. And he, that's how he's going to off himself. And he sees this kid fall in through the ice and he realizes that he has to do something. Um, and, um, so he, he goes in and he saves the kid he takes off all of his clothes. The old man takes off all of his clothes. So he's out there sitting down contemplating killing himself. And then once this kid falls through the ice and, and is soaked to the bone, he realizes, like, oh, my God. So he gets down there and pulls this kid out and strips all of his clothes off of him and then all of his wet clothes off. And then the old man starts taking his clothes off to get on the kid. And... um once he gets the kid like kind of warmed up and back within his senses, he ships him kind of back to his house. And I'm going to read this quick passage um, that the the kid's on his way back to his house and he gets tired along the way and he, he sits down in the snow and, and he says he might close his eyes for a bit. Sometimes in life, one felt a feeling of wanting to quit. Then everyone would see everyone would see that teasing wasn't nice. Sometimes with all the teasing, his days were subtenable. Sometimes he felt he couldn't take even one more lunchtime of meekly eating on that rolled up wrestling mat in the cafeteria corner near the snapped parallel bars. He did not have to sit there, but preferred to. If he sat anywhere else, there was a chance of a comment or two upon which he would then have to reflect on for the rest of the day. Sometimes comments were made on the clutter of his home, thanks to Bryce, who had once come over. Sometimes comments were made on his manner of speaking. Sometimes comments were made on the style faux pas of mom, who was, it must be said, a real 80s gal. So, like, he he intertwines, like, these moments of, like, near death. Like, this kid's almost freezing to death. Right. And... Like, that kind of hallucination, but still, like, forefront in his head is, like, just being made fun of at school. Right. Yeah. It's really nice. It's so great. That's and awesome. Yeah. George Saunders, um, new discovery for me. And Yeah. Yeah. I have to um, say, Kai has been telling me to read George Saunders forever. And, oh, really? Um, I've never done it. So, I need to definitely add that to the list and get Yeah, on get him on there, man. Sounds awesome. It's, it's great. It's great. Cool. All right, well, All right. that's it for this week. Yep. Thanks, as always, to Kaya for not only recommending George Saunders, which I've ignored, but for helping <laughs> us with the audio quality of this fine podcast. That's right. Thank you, Kaya. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Bye.